everyone, it's Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. Welcome to episode 42 of the Ginger and the Beard podcast. I'm AJ, aka the Ginger. And I'm Reese, aka the Beard. And on this week's show, we are joined by John Brennan, founder of MMA Tea Company. Thank you for joining us, John. How's it going? Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's going well. I just turned my lights on and noticed that I got a shiner uh, from the gym tonight. And I think that's from uh, a guy we call Old Man Dan, uh, who's a brown belt here at Great 717. So I'll have to pay him back for that. But other than that, I'm feeling good. How are you guys? Good. We're good, man. And uh, I, it doesn't show up on my end, but I think it's cool that you called it out. Nice. <laughs> Pretty awesome. But yeah, man, we're, we're excited to have you on. And uh, we've been at the podcast grind for a little while. And I think you may have actually started your business pretty close to the same time that we started. So just kind of kick things off. How long have you been up and running with MMAT Company? Yeah, we started uh, just around, you know, the, the time in March, I think is when we officially launched. Um, so it's, it's myself and my co-founder, Alex Einhorn, who I've known uh, for years since we worked in minor league baseball together. Um, and, you know, decided to start a business at the height of uh, a pandemic. So you know, <laughs> we're rolling with it. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate timing for sure. Um, and I think we're probably going to get into some of that a little bit later in the show to see how that's kind of impacted your business. But um, I mean, to kind of kick things off, you mentioned you had the shiner there. So just to kind of clarify for folks, you do actually train MMA and you're at Brown Belt in BJJ, right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I've had a total of 10 MMA fights, uh, nine amateur, and then I had one pro fight. Uh, it was two years ago, um, last week, uh, that I that I lost my MMA debut, uh, my pro debut, and then I've been training jiu-jitsu for uh, nine-ish years. I started in college and, you know, got my brown belt uh, just around the time that I had my pro debut. So, you know, I've still in the gym pretty regularly um covid you know took some time off but i teach classes and you know have some some pretty loyal students and you know enjoy still getting in and, and mixing it up with the guys uh, on the mats um i haven't been training mma as much lately uh, i had my first child was born my daughter lily was born in may so since we had her um you know haven't been on the mats nearly as much as i would like to be but i would like to get in you know more often yeah well congratulations that's awesome yeah, thank you um, just to kind of like ask a little bit more about your background, usually people that, you know, get into MMA or BJJ, I, I find, you know, have, um, you know, some other athletic background, you know, so I'm just wondering, you know, I, I kind of know, you know, you're from Lancaster, PA, um, PA being like one of the bigger wrestling states. Um, so I was just kind of curious, you know, do you have a background, a background in wrestling at all? Uh, I wrestled until third grade for the Williams Valley Mat Rats, uh, and then I saw my friends were going out for the basketball team. Joe's Gym is the league that they called it. It's just the local barber who ran a, an elementary school basketball program. I wanted to play Joe's Gym basketball, so in fourth grade, I went out for the basketball team. Didn't really get any taller, never really got good at basketball, and never went back to wrestling. So my athletic background uh, is more in baseball and football, which is what I played all through high school growing up. Um, and then I got into MMA and jiu-jitsu when I was at Shippensburg University, a state school here in Pennsylvania. Um, I was at the gym working out and I saw a flyer that said, are you interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai? If so, um, call this number and we'll take you to your first class. So I called the number, show up at this kid's apartment. He stuffs me in the back of his Ford Ranger and we drive 45 minutes to Chambersburg. And that was my introduction into jiu-jitsu. Um, and I just kind of stuck with it and kept training and about three years later I had a kickboxing fight and then another year and a half or so after that I had my first MMA fight wow that's Man. like a trust fall into 
<laughs> yeah. into BJJ, get in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, the good news is you didn't get murdered, so that's a win. Yeah, that was my mom's biggest belt. concern. She wanted me to stay on the phone with her the entire time because she was dead set that I was going to get murdered that night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's awesome. But instead, you just went to get beat up by a bunch of people that knew what they were doing. Yeah, instead we were just simulating murder in pajamas, which is much different. <laughs> That's oh, a good man, way like to put that. it. That's awesome. That's a, there's a, there's a shirt idea right there. If you haven't done it yet, <laughs> murder in yeah. pajamas. <laughs> exactly. So, well, that's cool, man. I, I wish I would have gotten. I mean, it's not too late. I guess I'm only thirty. I, I guess people way older than me have probably gotten into jujitsu or something. But I actually just put my four year old into uh, karate so uh, they call it karate but i feel like they do that the place that we take him does more than just karate but um i think he's probably gone like approaching 10 classes now he, he likes it a lot it's pretty cool to watch him learn um so we'll see i don't know where that will take him if he'll even be interested in like another 10 classes he might lose complete interest all of a sudden but so far it's going pretty well yeah i know so. i know bjj's grueling and you know I'm sure you put a ton, a ton of time and effort in it to be a brown belt, um, you know, is a, is a huge achievement, you know, to even get your blue belt is a huge achievement, I think. Um, but to stay at it long enough to get a brown belt and I'm sure you're going to get a black belt someday, you know, so that's really cool to hear. I, um, I did it for a little bit. I was a wrestler all through high school and I wrestled in college and then I started doing, um, uh, BJJ as a white belt. And then I went and competed and I broke my foot and I was like, you know, I don't know if this is right for me, you know, to be incurring <laughs> medical bills. Um, so I haven't gone back since, but, you know, it was it was a great experience. I certainly learned a lot. So really cool. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right about the time that we, you and I met each other Reese, when your foot was injured. I remember you like hobbling around <clears throat> when you were here visiting us one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're right about that. I was I was in a boot at that point. Yeah. So, well, any major injuries sustained for you, John? No, that's what I was just about to say is I think one of the reasons that I was able to maintain, you know, my, my constant, um, you know, mat time is because I didn't sustain any serious injuries. I think the, the biggest injury that I sustained through my entire time while I was training was actually two weeks prior to my pro debut where I was power washing my house. And I was up on a ladder and the ladder slid out from under me and I fell oh. like 12 feet onto my shoulder. So Oof. my biggest injury during jujitsu actually didn't come from jujitsu or MMA training at all. Um, you know, other than that, I've been very fortunate to not get seriously injured. You know, bumps and bruises and, you know, twisted ankles or, you know, you're sore for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But nothing where I was in a boot or a cast or, you know, any broken bones, anything like that. That's good. Very fortunate. Um, so I guess... Uh... You know, kind of transitioning now, uh, let's let's get into the company, right? So um, just jumping straight in, uh, what inspired you to start your company? Uh, it it kind of goes back a ways. Um, Alex Einhorn, who I mentioned earlier, is my co-founder. Uh, and Alex and I worked for the Lancaster Barnstormers, the minor league baseball team that's up here, uh, for a couple years together, uh, we ran the uh, live events production. So we were in the booth. I was directing the cameras and uh, putting everything up on the scoreboard. And Alex was actually the MC down running around on the field. 
so we would set up the show and go through that whole production. And Alex was um, the guy that we called the roof ranger. And he was someone who would go up on the roof and he would like get all the balls that would, you know, come off the roof and he'd throw plush balls down into the kids into the stands. Well, I had designed a roof ranger t-shirt for Alex that we could sell at games as a, or give away at games, I guess, which was just a outline of his head. I just put his picture into Photoshop and, you know, screen grabbed it, made it black. And that was kind of the first shirt that was designed for MMAT company. Fast forward a couple years, Alex competing in Strongman um, is at uh, Nationals. And I did kind of the same design, but then we actually sold the shirts to friends and family and whatnot. Uh, I start fighting MMA. Alex goes off and he starts uh, a t-shirt company. So he started a company that's called Philly Drinkers. And he does like parodies and um, funny shirts. And, you know, um, when Jason Kelsey said about um, Hungry Dogs in the Super Bowl speech, Alex made a shirt about that with his Marty Gras garb on and things like that. Um, he did a shirt for me when I fought and I was like, could we sell my T-shirts through an online store like you sell your Philly Drinkers apparel? He was like, yeah, that's fine. No problem. I'll just put a link to your shirts on Philly Drinkers. We get to talk and we're like, you know, other fighters would really be interested in not having to carry around a cardboard box full of T-shirts. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, we're spitballing ideas back and forth, lots of text messages, lots of phone calls um, while Alex was driving to and from work. And then we were on the phone with a local promoter who I fight for, Mike Pickings for Art of War. And he was like, you guys should just start a T-shirt company, call it MMA T-shirts. And we kind of went with it from there in March uh, and, you know, signed some local athletes um, from my gym and then started branching out to gyms in, in Philly and in the Delaware area. And now we have, uh, I think we have 45, 46 signed athletes um, from, I think, 13 different states all over the country uh, and also have a fighter in Thailand and I'm working with some people in Brazil uh, and a couple other places to sell shirts. Wow. That's awesome, man. I didn't realize you guys had like international fighters. That's, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, we talked about your background and things, so you didn't obviously have a background in, in t-shirt pr production before, but it sounds like you may have had a little bit of graphic design experience. Um, so kind of a perfect storm. It sounds like. Yeah, I would, uh, I had to teach myself Photoshop when I got the job for the baseball team and I had to design everything that went up on the video board. So spent a lot of nights with, dual monitors of a YouTube tutorial on one side, Photoshop open on the <laughs> other side, and just kind of going through, you know, how to, you know, create graphics in Photoshop. Um, when I left the Barnstormers, Alex was kind of doing the same thing, and my departure kind of thrust him into that role. So he, over the course of time, became a much better graphic designer than I am at this point. So Alex is kind of not kind of, Alex is the, the person who comes up with the ideas for the graphics. He does a lot of the graphic work uh, for our athletes where they'll just send him an idea of like, I like a phoenix with my name and maybe the year that I was born. And Alex will like spit out four or five different graphics and then they'll refine one or two of them and that becomes, you know, the final process. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, wow. we've, we've okay. seen some of the designs on your site and uh, they're pretty impressive, man. I think you guys are, you guys are doing a great job. Especially, I like the um, uh, oh shoot now. Of course, I'm blanking on it. Um, the the original is that is that well is the uh, sorry now I gotta go and look at this. It was one particular one I saw. Yeah, the general for Justin Patton. Oh yeah, he fights. Uh, he fights tomorrow. Justin does. 
Nice. Yeah, it's like a zombie military general looking design. That thing looks really, really rad, man. Yeah, that's one of my favorite designs too. I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna eventually, you know, have to go ahead and buy a Justin Pat shirt. <laughs> nice. So you know, so you explained that you know, um, you and Alex kind of put together uh, some templates and then you know work with the fighter directly. So I, uh, I'm just wondering, is is this one that um, you just kind of came up with, or did you guys work with him? And is he kind of like the the whole zombie thing's kind of like throwing me off? I'm I'm assuming his nickname's the General, but where did like the the zombie come from? Is that something that you know he kind of wanted to throw in? Uh, yeah, that was kind of through the creative par- process, just working with Justin. Um, it was something that, you know, came up in conversation. He was like, oh, yeah, that would be sweet. Let's see that. And uh, Kind of refined it a few times and, you know, put the finishing touches on it. And, you know, he's really happy with the design. Uh, I know Alex is really proud of what he came up with. So, you know, that's one of the ones that, you know, we're, we're all really happy with. Oh, yeah, I could see why. it's It looks awesome. And um, I did a little bit of background research and um, it looks like you guys are using screen printing, um, or at least from what I could see. And, you know, a shirt like this, um, you know, I know the viewers can't see it right now, but you guys got to go check it out. MMAT.com. Um, I'm sorry, MMATCO.com. If you want to look at what we're looking at, um, but it looks like it has a couple different colors. So, you know, do, do you have anything like intense like this where there's like, I don't know, 10 different colors um, or is it usually just kind of, you know, three or four kind of colors just layered together? Uh, yeah, for the, the screen printing specifically, uh, Al, uh, Alex always does mention to the fighters, you know, uh, we'll go up to, you know, three colors typically. So the shirt color plays into that. So, you know, that one, you know, might have four total colors that it looks like, but it's the shirt color and then three colors of ink. Uh, but we did just uh, acquire a, a DTG printer, so direct-to-garment. Um, so not only will we be able to, to screen print in-house, but we'll be able to DTG, you know, one-off items or, you know, flags, um, drawstring bags, you know, different things like that. And we don't have to do a run of 25, 30, 40 shirts for a fighter for a specific fight. Um, and that's where their online stores kind of come into play. So their, their designs stay up all year long, and anybody can buy a shirt at any time off of our website. Oh wow! So it's kind of just like fulfillment per order with the with the DTG. I I've never actually heard actually heard of DTG. My wife uses the Cricut and she has a heat press and whatnot. We don't really have space for the the screen printing, but I've seen it done before and it's you know fascinating process. So DTG, you can just kind of save the templates and then load a shirt in, and it just takes care of the rest for you. Is it like a laser? Yeah, uh, it just pretty much it, it's like a cricket on steroids um, is the way that I would explain it, where it just, you know, digitally prints the ink onto the shirt. So, you know, you need an ink cartridge, you need things like that. And, um, you know, we have some videos that Alex has been posting from the warehouse where you can actually see, you know, the, the printer going back and forth and it's just one layer at a time of just, you know, going across the shirt. It's actually really impressive. And I'm assuming the quality goes up significantly too, because, you know, the, the ink that you're using probably sticks to the, sticks to the fibers a lot better. You don't have the peeling or, you know, after like 20 washes, you kind of lose a lot. Right. So, um, cool. That's awesome that you guys are able to make that investment. Sounds like, um, going on the right path there. Yeah. I mean, we're excited now that we have everything kind of where we want it to be in downtown Lancaster. So, you know, we're now truly a local business where we aren't going to have to outsource really anything. Nice. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so I kind of want to go to like the the fighter side of things. I mean, obviously you mentioned you had what I think you said thirty six fighters now, um, and yeah, we've we've been following you guys on Instagram for quite a while, and it seems like you've got a new fighter announcement like two times a week. You guys are rolling rolling through them, so it's pretty cool. So how do you? I'm I'm curious, like what's the process for finding fighters to sponsor? I know you said when you first started, you picked up a couple of guys from your your gym that you train at, but obviously we live in weird times. And travel and, and events are all sort of, you know, a little bit different than they used to be. So do you rely pretty heavily on the internet to find people that you're looking to sponsor? Or do you have people, fighters reaching out to you? I'm curious how that process works. Uh, it's both. Uh, we do have a section on our website where uh, anyone can submit uh, to be a sponsored athlete. Uh, so there's there's a couple things that we look at in terms of criteria. Uh, I try to find any video that I can on anyone that submits. Um, I'll usually reply to them actually via email and be like, can you send me YouTube links? Uh, I'll look at their topology page and see you know what their record is, who they fought, um, and then also just kind of have a back and forth conversation of you know what their goals are and um, what kind of following they have. Not that that's really that important at the regional level, but I just like to know that um, you know our athletes are you know, taking it seriously and they're not just kind of showing up kind of half-assed and they, you know, people that, so people that want to do well in this sport typically find through one way or another a very large following, whether they're trying to or not, um, just because most people that they're close to will see how much time they put into it. So the amount of time that you put in, I think directly correlates into the amount of people that will eventually follow you and want you to succeed. Um, so that I think is a big factor as well. Um, so when people reach out, that's kind of the, the things that we look look at. Um, and then when I'm reaching out to people, uh, I started with just honestly going to uh, the, the different states in topology and going through the top 100 fighters and researching each one and being like, okay, this is someone I want to work with. And then I would drag and drop their name into a spreadsheet. And then Alex and I would just run it like, you know, any business that, you know, you have a sales team. Uh, and I would be the person that was running sales for us. And I'd, you know, reach out, I'd market that I reached out on this date. And then if they didn't get back to me, I'd reach out again. And we ran our entire business through Instagram um, as true, you know, millennials would. It's you know, <laughs> pretty much just Instagram DMs. Here's a, you know, a sample of a store that we made for someone. Here's what we can offer you. Here's what we're looking at from you. Um, would you like to work together? And then the conversation kind of goes from there. Nice. Yeah. Um... I mean, that's a, seems like a really smart approach to me. You guys built yourself your own little CRM system in a spreadsheet. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah now um, we, now we've trans, uh, we've, uh, transferred up to the big boys. We use HubSpot now. So nice. we're actually in a CRM and, you know, running it, um, you know, the way that it should be running it. It's, it's much more efficient for everyone involved. Very cool, man. Um, so, I mean, would you be able to kind of just divulge a little bit on like, what, what's the relationship between you and the fighter? Like, what do you guys, obviously, you know, I, I'm in marketing, uh, so I kind of understand like the relationship a little bit, but you know, you guys get exposure by being represented through the different fight, you know, the regional events and things like that. But what is the fighter getting out of the relationship with you guys? Is it, you know, besides just having this awesome, I mean, number one, these awesome logos created for them, but is that theirs to keep forever? Once you guys design it for them, can they use it wherever they like, even if they're not working for you anymore? Um, and I guess, yeah, just expanding on that. Yeah, I mean, when I originally reach out to someone, we, we well, going back, I noticed that everybody's first question was, how much will this cost, right? 
fighters are so used to saying, I need 100 shirts, and then the print screen printer says, all right, you're going to need to pay me $750. And then the fighter is out that money until they sell the shirts for whatever they sell them yeah, for. Right. And we've never taken a dollar from a fighter, except for any fighters who want to put that bulk order in, like put in a wholesale order for themselves. Um, so we don't ask for any money up front. We pay every fighter for every piece of uh, merchandise that they sell, whether it's a hat, a, a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, a sweatshirt. Uh, we have margins built in and the fighter gets paid more than we get paid for everything that we sell. Um, so they're getting paid out every Sunday um, by by us. Uh, on top of that, we're also um, quickly realizing and have realized in the past couple of months that while we are a merchandise company, we have the legs to be a very powerful branding machine for these regional fighters in the sense that we're creating them custom graphics for their shirts. Uh, we're creating them social media content all the time, right? We have a very strict social media calendar where we do in the wilds of their fans wearing the shirts and we do, um, you know, pictures with them for upcoming fights and we do, like you've seen, interviews with them. So not only are they getting the exposure through those social media graphics, but they're also then getting real world experience in terms of interviews that they can take and refine how they act and operate on camera so that when they move up through the ranks, their first interview, you know, on camera isn't at a Bellator event or isn't at, you know, a UFC, that they've been comfortable on camera five, six, seven, eight times with me to know what their persona is going to be when they're on camera, whether it is truly who they are or if they want to be like a Conor McGregor. And it's not <laughs> my job to tell them one way or the other. It's for them to figure that out, but we give them the tools to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. That's something that, um, you know, obviously Reese and I talk primarily about UFC <clears throat> um, on our on our show, and uh, that's primarily what we follow. But that's some of the stuff you don't really think about when you see these guys on, on TV. Obviously, I mean, Reese, you know, you and I have talked at length about how, how this works, how this world works, and you've got to have the personality, you've got to have the hype behind you to get some of the bigger fights, you got to be the biggest shit talker in the room sometimes. Um, so you don't think about that kind of stuff about developing your brand and your persona. You've got like Colby Covington and, and uh, Conor McGregor and Chael Sonnen and, you know, all these guys that have built up those reputations. But that's probably something they practiced and actually honed in on. They didn't just like come out like that one day, you know. So that's oh, really yeah. cool. Some of them just have a knack for it. Like you can't really yeah. train what Conor does. You know, that's kind of just... Um, nature I feel like and then you have Colby on the other hand where it seems like very forced um, but at the same token it's like you can learn from Kobe things not to do probably um, <laughs> and you know I think it's just it's it, you know there's a there's so much value in uh, what you just described to us John um, for these fighters you know just kind of training them uh, making the brands for them but you know through those interviews you know you make fans right so if they know what they're doing when it's when the when the lights on them finally and they can talk and not be nervous and you know all that fun stuff then uh, that's I mean it's probably going to turn into some you know uh, they're going to turn some fans you know during some interviews so that's really cool yeah and for every fighter that we sign we gain you know an exponential number of followers on our own page and yeah. you know our fighters they each have their own audience but we're you know almost as a byproduct building our own follow following without focusing so much on going out and reaching potential clients of our own because for each fighter like i said 
they bring in their own following and our numbers grow. So it's not like we're, you know, out there having to run targeted ads at MMA fans or at, you know, 20 to 35 year old mans who, or men who watch UFC, you know, none of that plays into our marketing plan. It all comes back to how much content can we put out for these fighters to make sure that their brands are seen by the most amount of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Revolving and, door. I feel like on that one. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and for I'm speaking for myself here. I think Reese, you've been watching MMA and UFC for longer than I have, but <clears throat> I haven't had much exposure, honestly, outside of UFC. Maybe a little bit of Bellator, a little bit of One FC, stuff like that. Um, but the regional scene, we just we had we had uh, the guys from the Beers and Beards podcast on not too long ago, and and David McKinney and um, Gary uh, have also spent some time like commentating on regional events. Um, so yeah, I'd like to get. Well, obviously, right now is kind of a hard time, so I think we should talk about that as well. Like COVID, obviously, has kind of put the kibosh on on regional and local events. You know, here in Virginia Beach, there's a an arena in Norfolk, close by, that they used to hold. Um, I can't think of the the actual promotion name right now, but hold local events. I haven't never made it out to any before, but that's definitely something I'd like to do moving forward is like actually start to support and, and go and uh, watch some of these up and coming fighters because you never know, they might work their way up. And uh, you know, like you said, debut with, with Bellator or UFC, everybody starts somewhere. Right. So um, that's definitely something I'd, I'd like to get more into in the future, whenever the apocalypse comes to a, a, a conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Oh, go ahead, John. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one of the, one of the taglines that we use is, you know, every world champion, you know, started as a regional fighter and it's important to support those regional fighters from that early stage. Um, you know, whether you're a fan of just MMA or a fan of that one person, um, I think you'd be really surprised at how unique a regional show is from just two guys that just want to fight and they probably haven't been in the gym more than six times in the last six weeks, but they still took the fight and they both gas in the first minute and then it's just a slugfest to... You know, someone who you're watching them fight and they might have five or six amateur fights and you're like, that dude's on another level. Like, you can definitely tell early on about that five, six fight mark in amateurs who, you know, has the potential to possibly, you know, make it to that next level and then the level above that. Um, Are there any resources that you could, like, point us to or point the viewers to or listeners um, to help them find regional um, circuits or, um, you know, anything amateur in their area? Is there any kind of like resource that does that? Or do you just kind of have to get on Google and just figure it out? At the, the one that I've used in the past is if you just go to literally mixedmartialarts.com, there's a section in there where you can search for events and you can search by state and it will show you regional events that are coming to your state. Um, now I'm not sure if all of them are listed. I know in Pennsylvania, uh, Greg Serb, who's our commissioner, um, uh, once you register with him, I think it goes on to MixedMartialArts.com automatically, if I'm not mistaken. So most of the Pennsylvania fights, if not all of them, will be on there. But I can't say the same for other states because I just haven't had the experience with them. Got it. Got it. Um, I just popped in my head, but like, you know... the regional circuits like this is all regulated it sounds like you know you have to sign up and there's probably some level of approval you know where they where they're taking some uh, part of your information and then um the complete opposite of that is like street fighting on youtube where (laughs) you see 
um, two guys in the backyard just in a, in jeans just fighting it out. I mean, um, you know, what are your thoughts on like the the two different areas there? Um, are you kind of are you against street fighting in any way? And you know, more pro? Hey, you know, be safer. Sign up and and you know get the protection with an actual referee just kind of want to get your thoughts on on that i mean i i was never in a fight until it was my first kickboxing fight um never got into fights as a kid um i did beat up michael Motter one time a kid that my mom babysat i think because he was bullying my sister but that doesn't count because i was like seven or eight uh, she always <laughs> likes she always likes to bring that up um you know at different family gatherings and stuff but other than that um, you know, to each their own. I attended a bunch of like, you know, backyard brawls and playground fights. And, you know, I watched Dave Ewells beat up Josh Dehan at the old school in Williamstown. So that was kind of fun. You know, things like that as your kids, you know, it is what it is. Um, two grown men, if they're going to fight, you know, if they're in their thirties and they want to, you know, fight in the street, just join a gym. And, you know, I think fight you know, in a cage with a referee. I don't think there's any reason for two you know, adults to, to fight each other you know, outside of a bar or what have you. Um, but, you know, kids are going to be kids. You know, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, yeah. clearly it worked out for Jorge Masvidal. Um, yeah, it and, did. And Kimbo. Yeah. Kimbo Slice. And Kimbo, yep. yeah. Yeah, and shout yeah. out to uh, Kahim Murray, who just beat um, Baby Slice in Bellator. Uh, Kahim is, you know, a pretty good regional fighter from, from the area. Uh, just put on a good show in Bellator, uh, fighting at a Royal Striking down there in Philly. So, you know, props to Kahim. He had fought a great fight. Nice. Awesome. Love to do a shout yeah, out for I, that. I, uh, some of this stuff is just so brutal, man. Like, even being a huge MMA UFC fan, like, the bare knuckle boxing stuff is just so hard to watch. And, and the backyard stuff, too, is just like, it's just too much. I agree with you. I think put those, put that uh, effort into an actual gym. But I guess, like, a barrier to entry for some people is the cost that it, it some, some gyms, you know, require to uh, come and train. <clears throat> you know, there's some limitations there for sure, but kind of going off of that real quick, AJ, I know that a lot of gyms, you know, if there is a cost issue and you're really dedicated, you can go ask them, Hey, can I come mop the floors? Can I, do you need something painted? You know, do you need something washed? You know, whatever they'll, you know, they'll, you know, usually bend over backwards if, if you really are that dedicated. So, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. I'm going to actually use that to kind of dovetail and, and talk about real quick, We've we've talked a lot about bare knuckle fighting and um, what's that girl's name that just left the UFC to go Paige over there? Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant, right? And she got offered a ton of money, and I'm like really working around on this, but UFC fighters, MMA fighters in general, don't make a lot of money, and they took away all of like the sponsorship when they brought in Reebok, so all of that money's gone. Um, but you know, you see people. Um, finding ways, right? And I, and I think that's kind of what is like the best selling point for the MMAT company is it's not one of these like crazy promotions like Invicta or um, what was the other one? What was the other big one back in the day, like back in 2008 or whatever? Um, tap Cage? Out or Tap Out? Yeah, it was Tap Out. That was like everywhere. So that's not around anymore. So do you feel like like having companies like the MMAT company are helping to fill that void or have the potential to help fill that void for um, not only just amateur fighters, but, you know, you know, pro level fighters at some point. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, one of the reasons that we decided to give the fighters 
you know, a, a higher percentage than we even make is, is one, it forces us to scale, right? If we have a thousand fighters, then we're doing well and every fighter is doing well. If we only have 10, the fighters are still doing well and we're not. So it forces us to hustle, right? Sign the best fighters, bring people on, things like that. Um, but the other side of it is that regional fighters don't make a whole lot of money. I mean, I was on the high end of a pro debut and I got, um, you know, 650 to show, $650 to make weight. And then if I would have won, I would have got another 650. And that's on the higher end for most Pennsylvania, um, you know, regional fighters uh, to make that, that pro debut. So, you know, you don't make a whole lot of money just fighting. Now, I made more money in sponsorships and, and t-shirt sales, obviously, than I made in fighting. So it's those local businesses that really support those fighters coming up through. And you can still get sponsored, right? Go as a UFC fighter. You just can't wear the logo on your shorts. You have to be more creative, which is why Paige Van Zant did so well, not fighting very often, was because her Instagram made her so much money because she would do sponsored content and she would be a brand ambassador and she would do things like that. Um, and we have, you know, we're we're really excited for the Paige Van Zant fight. Um, you know, she's fighting Britton Hart, and you know, we have some some exciting news that's going to be coming out. Um, you know, in the next couple of weeks about that fight as well. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. nice. We have to nice keep our ears open. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our thing with Paige Van Zant and I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, it's like, oh, man, it's just to go and that's just like, these are like little blades on your fists. These little knuckles are like little blades. They'll just cut your face open. It's just so brutal. But, right. Um, yeah. And her you know, being I, an I guess, Instagram model, right? Like it's, yeah, it seems like a lot of risk, but I know she's doing more than just fighting for for you know bare knuckle fighting so i know she's going right. to be like commentating and, and doing some other things too so yeah and the, yeah. the funny thing is about you know bare knuckle is that most people that go out and swing for the fences will break their hands um, mm. like you can come out and you know you can throw bombs with mma gloves on they're only four ounces and you can really crack someone and, and your hands feel fine but take those gloves off and just throw a little tape on there and you know hit somebody in the temple your your knuckles are going to shatter so Jeez. I think as people start fighting bare knuckle more often, not that it's not going to be as bloody as it is, but I think you're going to see more tactical fights, less haymakers, because people aren't going to want to break their hands and be out for 8, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. But it's still in its infancy, right? BKFC has only had you know a handful, a dozen fights maybe. Um, you know, and, and Dave Feldman, who runs BKFC, he's actually the first person I fought MMA for way back in like 2000. 14 he used to run a promotion up here in pennsylvania um so it's kind of it's kind of funny not funny funny watching you know him go from mma into bare knuckle and now it's become this like worldwide sensation and you know i used to hang out with him backstage before fights that's cool man it's good to have connections yeah hopefully that's awesome so you know we talked a little bit about the regional fight scene and we talked about covid so obviously being as involved as you are with that level of fighting, how has COVID impacted that on like, what have you seen firsthand as like, have, have all events been shut down? Obviously we know UFC, there's no, there's still no fans in the end stands. Um, have there been any regional or local fights that are like officially sanctioned since the shutdown? Uh, there have um, most of the regional cards up our way anyway that have been put on are CFFC, which is Cage Fury Fighting Championships, and they have a UFC Fight Pass deal. So okay. they've been able to still put on regional shows, showcase regional talent, and just 
you know, not really have fans. Now, I think they have like 200 max or 250 max, you know, and they all have to sit at a table, you know, different people at different tables, things like that. But uh, it seems as you go south, um, there's kind of less and less restriction on who you can have in the venue and where they can sit and how many fighters can be on the card. So um, I know uh, one of our athletes, Tyler Jones, just did a combat jujitsu fight uh, down in Florida. And I'm pretty sure, you know, there were fans and they did back-to-back shows on the same day where they packed the place, kicked everyone out, packed the place again, all within like 12 hours. Uh, So it really is, when you say regional, it really is region to regional and if they're having fights. Now here in Pennsylvania, um, the thing that I've noticed the most is like we have really good amateur fighter Christian Carr who just hasn't been able to really fight because all these regional shows are pretty much just putting on pros, right? There are not a whole lot of amateurs fighting. So there's at some point, there's going to be a gap where all of the amateurs had to stop fighting and all of the pros kept getting better. And there's just going to be this large gray area where there was no experience for however many months this is going to last. Um, And it's going to be very interesting to see who advances, who just never fights again, um, and kind of what all conspires. And we, we just don't know at this point. Yeah, it's got to be a tough thing. Um, obviously, this COVID has impacted a lot of different areas of life for everyone. But for somebody who trains and you rely on these events um, as your income, or at least supplemental income if you're not you know that high level yet, and really just the passion too. I mean, these guys who are, who are coming up in this sport, this is like their lively, livelihood. Like they, they do this because they love it. That's what they've grown up doing. Um, so, I mean, number one, I guess a lot of gyms at first probably even shut down. Um, yep. But so, I mean, hopefully at least they can train and, and continue to, to hone their craft. Um, but, you know, to not be able to put on performances is probably pretty frustrating and obviously puts a little bit of a, a damper on their advancement in, in the sport and, and things like that. But um, I'm curious, like, is anybody that you guys have, have sponsored, like, do you have, I mean, if you can tell us, you know, is there any anybody moving up into some of the more national level um, promotions, maybe Bellator or, or things of the sort? Anybody that is kind of on that brink of breaking through? Uh, we have some fighters who, uh, Ethan Goss, for instance, has fought for Bellator, uh, but his next fight is actually this Saturday for a more regional promotion, uh, 247 Fighting Championships. Um, but against another stud, um, he's fighting another guy named Ethan. I can't think of his last name, but, um, you know, it's things like that where we might have somebody who fought a Bellator fight here and there, or we have a a lot of fighters who fight for that CFFC that I mentioned earlier, uh, who, um, you know, you win a, you win a belt there and you're getting the call to, you know, Bellator, UFC, um, you know, one FC, one of those promotions. So, you know. The, the fighters that we do have, you know, I'm pretty thorough with um, kind of going through and, and seeing what their potential looks like. And, and I'm pretty confident that within the next three or four years, we'll have a decent amount of fighters on UFC and Bellator rosters. Awesome. That's awesome, man. It'd be really cool to see your uh, see your logo out there on TV. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so even so, beyond the fighters, you have some really good designs for your original designs. Um, yeah. You know, a couple that I think are really cool. Certainly strangle things, uh, diet choke, um, you know, sprawl, um, are all really cool. I'm just wondering if, if you're going to keep adding to this uh, list here, 
Yeah, it's on our uh, quarter one of, of next year uh, is to uh, add, add some more custom designs or original designs, what, what, whatever you want to call them. Um, we partnered with uh, a local, well, they're local to me, but they're a national publication, My MMA News. Uh, so we're going to have a My MMA News section where a lot of those original designs are going to go and we're going to do more things that are um, uh, based on you know things that UFC fighters might say or do or Bellator fighters. So it'll be more along the lines of like it'll be hot for two or three weeks It's as the thing that happens right away, um, yeah. you know, designs like that. So that's something that we're also going to be moving into. You should. You guys should have made a, a Derek Lewis shirt that says "My balls are hot" or something like that. <laughs> had we been around at the time, we would have had that shirt. <laughs> I don't know if any phrase has been coined more than more than that of yeah. late. Yeah, that was a good one. So, I mean, I guess speaking of UFC, I mean, obviously, your time—you just had a new baby. You, you're running a company. You just opened a warehouse. You guys are, are bringing on new fighters. If you have any spare time. Do you watch UFC? Can you keep up with UFC or or Bellator or, or, or things of the like? Honestly, I I watch fights that are fights of people that I'm a fan of or I like their style, but it's very rare that I'm able to now just sit down like I used to and be like, all right, it's you know six thirty or whatever it is, prelims are on, and I'm just gonna watch this thing until two a.m. when the main event happens. Uh, like this past weekend, uh, a training partner of mine, Dustin Stoltzfus, fought uh, his UFC debut against a, a Philly guy, Kyle Dawkins. Uh, so, you know, my wife and I were sitting at the kitchen table. I just grabbed my laptop, threw it on the table, pulled it up and watched that specific fight. But then we went yeah. back to doing what we were doing. Um, yeah. So it's more things like that now. You know, like I said, if it is somebody that I'm a fan of, somebody that I've been following for a while, I'll make a point to watch them. Yeah, it's even hard for us sometimes. I think Reese and I both, obviously, we've got pretty busy hectic lives and you know honestly which is it's a good thing i'm not complaining about it the ufc with the coronavirus you know we had that pause at the beginning of the year where there was no fights but then ever since then i think they've missed maybe like two weekends there's been a break like two weekends but otherwise it's just back-to-back fights it's hard for us to keep up um you know especially with some of the prelim fights and early prelims which is it's kind of like it's fun to watch those fights because they're you know, they are the up and comer guys, people making their debuts. Um, it's fun to see that kind of rising talent. But um yeah, I mean it's even hard for us to kind of keep up with even the main pay per view events. I don't think I even I actually didn't even watch this this weekend's past fight with Davis and Figueredo. But um one thing we want to talk to you about is like are there any like memorable most memorable mo- moments for you? in UFC or even just in MMA in general, like most memorable fights or fighters that you can think of? Yeah. I mean, my favorite, my all time favorite fight, um, even though one of my favorite fighters lost is, um, Gaslam and Adesanya. And, and I'm a fan (laughs) of Gaslam because he has the same exact style that I have. He's, he's short, he's stocky. Um, you know, he's got a big heavy left hand, and you know he's a really good grappler um and that's kind of what i aspire to be as a fighter as well so to watch him go out there and you know put on a real show against who i think is arguably one of the best fighters in the world and adesanya right probably up there top two top three him john jones and khabib i would say or maybe the top three out there doing it right now whether Khabib yeah. retired or not nobody knows um but you know to watch him go out there and put on a show and and do what he did was you know really inspiring for me um because i think a lot of people wrote him off before that fight yeah it's 
it's hilarious you said that because before the show before we jumped on with you reese and i were talking like dude could you even pick like a favorite fight of all time and, and then and then i was like yeah i think <laughs> right now probably izzy and gaston's like the first one that comes to mind and aj's like oh that's like the, that's exactly that's what exactly i was thinking what I was of. yeah that's hilarious dude <laughs> and then right. my second favorite would be and it has to do one with the setting where i watch it which was at our family cabin with my dad but then just because it was a badass fight and that was rory mcdonald and robbie lawler yeah absolutely I, aj i don't, I don't know, know if I you remember that one, that one. I, no. I don't know if you were really watching at that time but i just, love robbie lawler but i don't know if i've seen that fight maybe i did going into the last round it was just a it was like a bloodbath basically and they're just kind of staring at each other they both just, look like zombies they look like the justin Patton shirt yeah yeah <laughs> And they just weren't ready to, they weren't ready to leave basically going into that last round. They were like, I'm not, I'm not given any ground. Um, that was such an awesome fight. So much blood. I think Robbie Lawler broke Rory's nose at one point, And then soon after that, it was, uh, it ended. I yeah. He broke that. his nose. And then the next time he touched him, Rory just kind of crumbled. And I couldn't imagine the kind of pain that he was in to, to bring him down. I mean, he's one of the toughest guys in the world and you know, he dropped. Yeah. 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 A very similar fight. One of my most memorable is Dan Hooker versus, um, oh geez, I should have even said it because I can't remember his name right now. Um, I can't think of it. It'll, I'll have to come back to it. It was a recent one, right? I think you it was were a couple years me. ago. Yeah, oh, it's really? one of the ones I always talk about. Uh, hold on, I got the internet in front of me. You'll have to, you'll have to bring it up. Um, I. The John Jones versus Gustafson, the first fight that they had, was another one that I thought was I don't know if I'd rank it like it's just one that's like really memorable for me to see John Jones like more actually I, I think I was more proud of Gustafson for that one, really, to come out and make Jones look like a human for the first time ever. Um Yeah. You know, and and I don't know. I feel like Jones. I, I'm. I don't know. This is probably controversial, but I feel like there's probably like three or four fights that could have went either way, um, and he probably just got. I don't know if you want to call it luck or not, because he's certainly very skilled. But I just feel like, man, it was just right on the fence. And if the wind would have blew a different way, then you know he wouldn't be as, you know, great as he's he's known as today. So yeah, yeah, it was. was uh, it was Edson Barboza. Jeez. Total brain fart. But if you want to know what Dan Hooker's made of, watch that fight. Because that dude stood in that. I, I don't know how he absorbed so much damage, but eventually went out on some uh, liver shots. One of the few fights I've seen where people go out on liver shots. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a crazy fight. But, yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with you about John Jones. Um, what are your thoughts, John, on, um, well, John, on John Jones moving up to heavyweight? Have you seen pictures of him walking around at 245? He's humongous. <laughs> He's a monster. He's a dude. terrifying human being. He's yeah. now 240 pounds, and he's chasing people with shotguns. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's just... He's a wild just, card. And that's, I think, partially what makes him so good is that he does have a screw loose. Right? There's Once he's locked in the cage with you, he's trying to murder you. Right? There's, there's some people that are out there, and I fall into this trap, who fight MMA as a sport and then yeah. there's people who are out there uh, like the opponent that I fought in my pro debut Will Dill who they're out there to literally kill you and the only person that's going to stop that from happening is you 
right? Killing them first or the referee pulling them off of you or you off of them. Um, And when you can kind of couple the sheer athleticism that John Jones has with that screw loose mentality, but his ability to harness it, right? And weaponize it. It's just a scary human being, whether he's on steroids or not. Nobody's ever going to know. Right. That's fine. (laughs) That what you just said reminded me of the, like Mike Tyson quote, I can't quote it exactly, but when he was talking about when he would go in the ring, he would stare his opponents down and he wouldn't break eye contact with them. And as soon as he saw them break on eye contact, he knew, he knew they were broken and then he was going to, they were dead at that point. And he always went out there trying to kill somebody. And so, yeah, it makes sense to have that kind of mindset gives you like a little bit of an edge. Maybe, man, I can't wait to watch the Roy Jones junior fight between Mike Tyson. Oh gosh. Yeah, no I'm knockouts like, allowed, though. Yeah, I saw some. I didn't read much into that. I saw the headline on that. Like, what? what's the deal with that? There, it's just like, because it's essentially a celebrity boxing match. Is They're not yeah. supposed to go for knockouts. Now, good luck telling Mike Tyson not to knock somebody out. I don't know what's right. going to happen. Like, are they going to fine him with his, you know, whatever money he doesn't have left that, you know, got taken from him? I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, like, is it like slap boxing or something? Like, what is? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. If they're gonna come out and bare knuckle box, that we'll see. I guess you're only allowed to punch (laughs) your opponent in the chest. That's it. Yeah, liver, liver shots only. Liver shots only. Yeah, that's so weird. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess like one of the things that I love most about MMA, and I think Reese, you and I are obviously on the same page, is like the sportsmanship of it. You you mentioned that like going into fighting as a sport. Um, as somebody who does not train MMA and has never fought anybody ever really besides my brother, um, you know, that's one of the things I appreciate most about the sport. And it was on full display recently with Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva, where the two guys are like literally in tears, you know, hugging each other, thanking each other, you know, just showing their appreciation and gratitude for even sharing the octagon with each other. And just like, I dude, it like almost brought a tear to my eye, like no joke. It's like the most heartwarming thing you see when you got these two guys, no matter who it is, it doesn't have to be those two guys, just battling it out in the octagon, going for broke, trying to knock each other out. But at the end of the fight, man, they're like, they are showing respect for each other. And for for people who don't watch MMA, whether it's UFC or whatever promotion it is, they don't understand. They're like, oh, these people, this is so brutal. This is such a barbaric sport. But like, if you, it, it, it is a sport. The fact that it's a sport and these people are training day in and day out, you know, for an entire year in some cases or longer before they, you know, actually fight someone. Um, and then they are showing their gratitude towards each other, each other at the end of the fight. You know, as a fighter, fighter yourself, how much does that actually hold hold true for you? How, how much have you actually witnessed that on, on your own? Uh, I mean, I think it's a really big part of it. I always had a lot of gratitude for all of my opponents just for being able to share the cage with them i always wanted the best possible opponent out of who i was fighting at the time um just because i didn't want to put all of that work in right it it consumed my life when i would have a fight coming up so i didn't want to put all of that work in and then you know come out and have somebody that didn't really put a camp together and then you know not that it would be a waste of time for me because I would get a win, but would I really have been tested? Would I really have improved? You know, all of those different things. Um, so, you know, I always would thank my opponents for taking the fights. Um, I did, you know, I didn't look at it as a fight as much once I got into the sport. And I think that kind of hurt me in a ways because 
I would need to get cracked. You know, every fight I would get cracked and, you know, I got dropped a couple fights. So I was like, oh, shit, like I'm going to fight. Um, <laughs> and, you know, walk into the cage, you know, my last couple fights, I, you know, walked out to some happier music and, you know, I'm all smiles. I couldn't do the Mike Tyson thing, like staring people down because I'm just very happy. Like I put in all this work, you know, spent time away from my family, missing, you know, whatever events it may be. Uh, and then, you know, you put all that time in hours and hours and hours in the gym and at max as a pro, you're fighting 15 minutes on the regional scene unless you have, you know, a, a title fight and then you're fighting 25 minutes. So, you know, that's a third to a quarter of one training session on one day of an eight week camp. And it just, you know, when yeah. you think about how much time gets put into what you actually get to do in terms of showing the skills that you built over the last six, eight, 10 weeks, um, it, it can become overwhelming. And that is something else that, you know, might've been hitting Uriah Hall or um, Anderson Silva is, you know, Uriah Hall grew up watching Anderson Silva and he came up through the sport and Anderson Silva was like untouchable. And then to share the cage with that, you know, guy across from you, and to kind of drop him in the same way that he's dropped so many people in the past, um, Uriah Hall kind of was, I think, just taken aback by how he's now come full circle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what we and me and Reese talked about was, uh, you know, you, it's what I mean, there's no that's the epitome of a bittersweet moment right there. Somebody you've idolized for so long, um, you just knocked out, <laughs> you just TKO'd, right? Um, so you, you feel terrible for finishing them on their, in their last fight in the UFC, but also like so excited that you just won that fight and also uh, grateful at the same time for even having that experience. So yeah, it's just that right there that like, you know, I have people you know that I work with or whoever that I talk to that is like, ah, oh, yeah, I can't watch UFC. It's too brutal for me. It's just like, but if you look at it from the sportsmanship side of it, um, you know, just put, just don't pay attention to the shit talking to the blood, all that stuff. It's just like, just watch the end of the fights and the, and the, how much respect these guys have for each other. Minus a few specific people um, who are just like bad blood sort of guys, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a, it's an awesome spot, awesome sport to watch and to see, you know, what people can accomplish. Yeah. And I would say to all of the stand them up guys at the bar, right. They're just screaming when there's grappling going on, stand them up, stand them up, stand them up find a friend of yours right that trains ju brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestling or mma and just have them talk to you about the details that are happening during the fight while they're on the ground um it will really open your eyes as to how beautiful of a sport mixed martial arts really is when you realize how difficult ground fighting actually is to hold someone yeah. down who is a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt or brown belt or purple belt for that fact right? To hold them on the ground and beat them up is a very, very hard thing to do. And people come through the gym all the time and they think that, you know, they're, they're a tough guy or that they're a good fighter or what have you. And our gym enforcer is 135 pound purple belt, you know, Josh, go get them. And, you know, Josh is beating up 230, 240 pound dudes on the ground because it's just, people move differently. It's, it's not something that you can just pick up in a day. And, um, to see it play out in real life and to see somebody neutralize somebody else's game or somebody who's a prolific striker that is able to, you know, stop takedowns and, you know, things like that. It, it's what makes the sport what it is. It's truly mixed martial arts. And it's the, this guy has this skill set. This guy has this skill set and who's going to be, you know, the better fighter that day. 
Absolutely. It's a chess mass, a chess match, basically, every time, you know, you're rolling with somebody and, um, you know, I, I agree they shouldn't be standing them up, but, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, profit seeking business. So I can understand why they do that. I'm sure the refs are told, Hey, you know, you know, let's try and keep the action moving. But, um, if you go and actually watch like an MMA tournament, <clears throat> it's a different story. Um, you know, and I know from personal experience, just like all of the different ways that you can apply pressure to somebody's body to hold them down. Um, it's really eye opening. You could have somebody that only weighs like, let's say for Khabib, for instance, who only weighs 155 pounds. I think he's certainly mastered how to use every little bit of his body weight to make it feel like you have a 250 pound man, you know, riding on your back or whatever it is. So there's so much technique in that. And uh, I think a lot of like your typical MMA fans probably overlook that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, exactly. And to be honest, like transparent before we started the show and I started to really pay attention to UFC at a different level. Um, I was one of those people who was like, man, I want to see the action. I want to see some blood. I want to see some knockouts. Right. But now that you more that you pay attention to it and listen, that's why I love when like you have like Dominic Cruz commentating on a, on a UFC fight because that guy can see can see a setup coming a mile away he's like okay now he's gonna pass he's gonna pass guard here he's gonna try to take control whatever um you know or he's gotta you know he's gotta control the left wrist to do this and like he explains it as you're watching it so if you're somebody like me who's never trained and you don't know what's happening you can actually start to look for it um and then yeah you've got the people in the in, in the stands obviously yeah i mean it's entertainment value you know people are drunk in the audience and they're screaming out like boo whenever they stay on the ground for more than 10 seconds so I get that, but, um, but yeah, like once you actually have a deep, deeper appreciation, obviously you, John, as a fighter, um, and somebody who's trained jujitsu, you clearly know what's happening and, uh, have a whole another level of appreciation when watching it. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think people should take a second look and, uh, you know, see, see what's actually happening there. And the same thing with the clinch too. Like they break up, the, break apart the clinch a lot. Um, when people are trying to set different things up. Same same situation though, you know. This they're looking for the action, but I've one more question, um, and I and I think you know, uh, just another topic is like watching footwork, right? That's like a whole other thing where you could probably watch a whole fight just like looking at somebody's feet, just to see what they're doing. Um, it's like a whole other game. But you mentioned earlier um, how there's like really only ever fifteen minutes or at max like twenty five minutes to showcase all of the work that you've done. Um, and I know in like, I think in some jujitsu tournaments, like they can go for like 30 minutes or even like pride used to do pride used to have like 30 minutes. Right. I mean, um, I definitely see some value in doing that and, and maybe even like having longer fights if, if at all possible, do you think that that's something that probably should be, um, implemented in another different, um, uh, fighting championship or fighting promotion where they should have like a promotion that does 60 minute fights, you know? Uh, I mean, me personally, my fight style and the way that I train to fight is I would love one 60 minute round, right? Just let's go me and you and we'll see what happens. Um, but I know one for a matchmaker, right? That becomes, if you have 10 fights on a card, that's a 600 minute day. That's a long day to put on a promotion. Um, so the logistics of it are kind of difficult. Um, and in the other side of things, right, it's not a very fan friendly fight where we could spend 10 minutes that I'm just kind of holding you down and making you tired and 
grinding you out because I know that my gas tank's better than yours. Um, so that's, you know, that's the other part of it. But me personally, yeah, uh, I'll, you know, put me on the 50 yard line of a football field, no cage, and let's just, you know, do it for 60 minutes and kind of see what happens. Yeah, I feel like it's more, you know, akin to like life and death kind of stuff too, right? Because you're not going to be in like five minutes round, five minute rounds where you get to take a break. Like if you're fighting for your life, like in, you know, let's say it was like 500 years ago or something, you were fighting for your life. (laughs) Gladiators. Um, Yeah, gladiators. You know, there's no breaks, right? So it's kind of like you really get to see what people are made of, you know, doing it that way. I mean, UFC in general, you're going to find, or MMA in general, you're going to figure out what you're made of. But yeah, yeah, oh, I like that idea. I know Joe Rogan would be a fan of it, but <laughs> I mean, he's going to have to start his own Spotify fighting championship. So we'll see if that happens. You never know, man. He's starting his own comedy club in Texas. True, now. yeah. He might just have a whole compound down there by 2030. <laughs> yeah, Joe Rogan for governor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. I was listening to his podcast today, actually. So, I decided uh, to put one up with uh, Dave Chappelle, so I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dave Chappelle doesn't actually come in until like the three-hour mark, so you might want to skip ahead if you want to. Good to know. There, but... I didn't see him on the preview, and I was like, well, he might come in later, so I'll skip ahead. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but but the other, I'm, I'm blanking on the other guy's name right now. Burris? He's also Was it Burris? Is that how you um, say it? I can't remember. Jeez, I have to look it up. Man, my memory is so terrible. Too. I'm, I, I think it's Burris, but I can't remember. Yeah, right yeah, now. you're right. It's it's Hannibal Burris. Hannibal, Hannibal Burris. Burris. Okay. There it is. That dude is hilarious, man. That episode in general is hilarious. But yeah, so I think that about wraps it up, man. Uh, we've talked about a lot here. You know, for anybody listening, uh, obviously, thank you, number one, for listening. And, and make sure you check out MMATCO.com. That's M-M-A-T-E-E-C-O.com. If you're not watching the YouTube video, John's wearing uh, an MMA t-shirt right now. They've got a ton of awesome designs on the site. You know, obviously, each of the fighters have their own special designs. A lot of them are really cool. There's one I'm looking at right now. It's Dill Pickle, which is Dylan Harnish, his shirt. And uh, one we mentioned earlier is for Justin Patton, the general. That's an awesome design right at the top of the site there. So check that out. But also, like Reese mentioned earlier in the show, check out the original designs because there's a lot of stuff in there that, number one, just super funny. So uh, kudos to you guys for coming up with some of that stuff. Netflix and Spar, Strangle Things instead of Stranger Things, Diet Choke, Sprawl instead of Sprite. All that stuff's really cool. Uh, Choking instead of Duncan for Duncan uh, Donuts. A lot of it's really cool. So definitely check them out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess other than that, make sure you support your regional fighters, man. Um, you know, something that I think Reese and I both want to get more into once we can actually go out into the world and, and enjoy live events again. Um, but uh, John, you know, uh, anything else you want to plug before we kind of wrap this up? No, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Other than that, we're going to be doing some Black Friday to Cyber Monday sales. Where we're releasing um, you know, a signature item for each one of our athletes. So check them out. We'll be releasing them on social uh, over the weekend. Uh, and like you said, just go out and support your regional fighters. If you can't get to a show anytime soon, um, you know, support them in another way. Uh, if you own a small business, you know, cut them a check, write it off at the end of the year, you know, do things like that because they're kind of, you know, putting their, their hearts into, you know, every day that they're training and not making a whole lot of money doing it. So, you know, if you want to support them, you know, it'll go a long way. Awesome. Uh, well, John, thank you again for taking the time out of your night to chat with us. It was a lot of fun. And for everybody listening, we'll see you all in the next one. 
podcast. Thank you guys. Awesome. Thank you guys. See ya.